0: Well, this morning, friends, we're going to be carrying on in our series in the book of Jude. Uh, We only have two more sermons in the book of Jude, today and then next week we're going to be wrapping it up. And uh, this has been such a, just a significant study as we have been looking at Jude's admonition to the church, his warnings about the reality of apostates and false teachers who seek to lead God's people astray, uh, his encouragement for us to to make sure we stay rooted and grounded in the once for all faith delivered to the saints, that we contend earnestly for that faith uh, against these false teachings, the the lies versus the truth, truth versus error, this battle that we're engaged in as God's people in this world, so significant and so important for us. So we're going to wrap up Jude here today and then next week, and then uh, during the rest of the summer, we're going to be starting a new series. Uh, That'll take us through uh, Labor Day, get my holidays right. Uh, The rest of the summer we're going to be doing a series called The Ten Great Freedoms. Looking at the Ten Commandments and uh, those great laws that God gave His people, you know, when we think about God's law, we also we often think about God's law as being restrictive factors in our lives, right? Like things that we the do's and the don'ts. But the reality is, is when we understand God's law and His motivation for giving us His law, what we discover is that when we live our lives in line with God's revealed will for us in His law, we experience great freedom. In life. And so we're going to discover the the 10 great freedoms together as we uh, look at the 10 commandments this summer. And I think that's going to be another great encouragement for us uh, as we study God's word over the coming months. But today we're going to carry on in the book of Jude. Jude is going to take a little bit of a turn today. Uh, Up to this point in the letter, Jude has been warning us about all of the false teachers, the apostates that we need to be worried about and concerned about. Today Jude's going to turn the corner and basically share with us what do we do in response How do we live out our faith? How do we live out the truth in light of all of these realities that Jude has been sharing with us about the false teachers that we need to be concerned with? You know, the whole idea of false teachers really came to the fore for a lot of people, a lot of people in this generation 45 years ago. This November is the 45th anniversary of the infamous event known as Jonestown. Jonestown, Guyana, where over 900 Americans following a man that they believed was the voice of God on earth, the second coming of Jesus Christ, over 900 Americans commit mass suicide drinking grape Kool Aid laced with cyanide poisoning following this false teacher. You know, it's interesting, Jim Jones was a man who started out as a legitimate Christian minister. Jim Jones would abandon the faith. He would apostatize like so many that Jude has been warning us about. Jim Jones ended up embracing a socialist vision, a Marxist vision of Christianity, believing that we could create a socialist utopia on earth. He moved his congregation out to San Francisco there. He went on a power trip. He, he began to claim that he was hearing revelations from God. These revelations ultimately told him that he was the voice of God on earth, the second coming of Jesus Christ. He convinced his followers that God wanted them to move down to Guyana in South America, where they were going to create a socialist utopia on earth following his leading and guidance as God in the flesh amongst them. Well that socialist utopia quickly turned into a nightmare as those who went with him discovered uh, that it was nothing but a massive slave labor camp with all kinds of accusations of abuse going on. Their families back in America were concerned about what was going on there in Jonestown. They eventually eventually convinced a United States congressman from California to go down to Jonestown to investigate what was happening. Jim Jones was afraid that his gig was up, that he was going to be discovered as a, as a fraud, as, as an abuser of all these folks. And so Jim Jones ordered his people to kill this U.S. congressman and four members of his delegation. After committing those atrocities, Jim Jones knew his time was short and that it was going to be only a matter of days before they would come and arrest him and shut everything down. So Jim Jones pulled down a revelation from God claiming that God wanted his people to take their own lives in what he called a righteous and holy act which would usher them into eternal paradise in his presence. Jim Jones convinced over 900 people to drink Kool-Aid laced with cyanide poisoning. The parents gave it to their babies and their children first, and then they drank it themselves. And in the days following, over 900 bodies were found lying bloated in the jungles of Guyana. It was very interesting. The United States Air Force commander, who was in charge of going down to Jonestown to clean out the camp and bring the bodies back to America for burial. When he got back to Dover Air Force Base, he held a press conference. And he said, the thing that interested me most about Jonestown is when we cleaned out the camp, we did not find a single Bible in all of Jonestown. Jim Jones had so thoroughly replaced the truth of the once-for-all faith delivered unto the saints with his own man-made teachings, his own apostasy and error, that when he commanded his people to drink Kool-Aid laced with poisoning, over 900 of them followed the man that they thought was the voice of God on earth. Friends, Jude's warnings against false teachings are incredibly significant, incredibly important. And obviously not all false teachers lead their people into committing mass suicide. But I will tell you something that we need to be very clear on this morning. Every false teacher that comes across our paths brings poison, spiritual poison spiritual poison that can destroy our faith and lead us to spiritual death for all of eternity. And that's why Jude's warnings and his admonitions in this short letter are so significant and so important. And Jude is going to continue on this morning in light of these admonitions to be alert, to contend for the faith, be aware of these threats that are out there. He's going to continue on this track by now encouraging us as believers, how do we live in light of these things? How do we live out the truth in light of these realities? Today we find ourselves in Jude 17 through 23. I want to share this passage with us this morning, and then I want to highlight three principles that we see here uh, as Jude encourages us to live out the truth of our faith. Starting in verse 17, if you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to open them up this morning, and you can also follow along on the screens with me. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Here in these verses, Jude gives us three principles for living out the truth of our faith. Jude begins, number one, in verses 17 through 19. He says, don't forget. Don't forget. What are we called not to forget? He tells us right here in verse 17. You must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. The predictions of the apostles who warned us that false teachers were coming to lead us astray. The the word predictions here isn't the greatest translation of the Greek because we hear prediction in English and we think like something that may or may not come to pass. A more accurate translation would be the prophetic words of the apostles. The things that are certain to happen. False teachers are coming. And why does God warn us about these false teachers? Well, he warns us for two reasons. Number one, because he doesn't want us to be surprised when they cross our paths. But number two, so that we will be ready to respond to error with truth. So don't be surprised and be ready. Be prepared to counter these false teachings when they come. Jude says, remember the predictions of the apostles. Well, what did the apostles told the church about these false teachers to come? The apostle Paul, warning the elders in Ephesus, he shared in Acts 20, 28 through 30, pay careful attention to yourselves and all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise. These are apostates. From within the church, men will arise speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after them. Paul then shares with Timothy, his young protege, a leader future leader of the church now the spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith again the apostates who depart the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared paul tells timothy that these apostate false teachers are liars they're not speaking truth they're speaking the doctrines of demons and deceitful spirits The apostle Peter warns the church. 2 Peter chapter 2, 1 through 3. False prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon them swift destruction, and many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Again, Peter warned the church, false teachers are coming. The apostle John warned the church. First John chapter 2, Children, it is the last hour. As you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. Again, the apostates, these false teachers. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. And then in chapter 4, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Friends, Jude says, don't forget. Don't forget what the apostles told us. Don't be surprised when they come and be prepared to respond. we got to make sure we don't forget. Now, friends, this morning, I want to help us understand there's two primary tactics that the false teachers will use to try to lead God's people astray. And we need to understand these two primary tactics. The two tactics that every false teacher uses are deception and dilution. Deception and dilution. How how do they come to deceive? The false teachers will come, and they will claim to be Christians. They will often look Christian and they will sound Christian and they will use Christian terms and dress like Christians and act like Christians and talk like Christians. But what they come professing is something very different from orthodox, historic, biblical Christianity. The false teachers are like the the young man I heard about recently who wanted to play a joke on his mom. And so uh, knowing his mom was going to be making a turkey sandwich for lunch, he went into the refrigerator and he pulled out the jar of mayonnaise And he took the jar of mayonnaise and he unscrewed the lid and he scooped out all the mayonnaise into the garbage can and then he went to the cupboard and grabbed the jar of Crisco shortening. And he repackaged that jar of mayonnaise with Crisco shortening. Well, his mom comes by a couple couple of minutes later to make a sandwich and she goes to the refrigerator, she opens the door, she pulls out the jar of mayonnaise, what she thought was mayonnaise. It looked like mayonnaise. It had the label. It said it was mayonnaise. And she spread that spread on her sandwich and bit into it, and she gagged. (laughs) She gagged because it wasn't mayonnaise. This is what the false teachers do. They claim to be Christian. They claim to be professing true Christianity, but they have emptied out Christianity of its orthodox, historical, biblical content and repackaged it with their false man-made teachings. Deception. The second tactic of the false teachers is dilution they dilute the faith they they add poison to the faith they they'll teach 99% everything else they teach is truth but it's the 1% that will kill you yesterday I was out doing yard work around my house and one of the things I was doing was spraying for bugs and I had this big jug of ortho home max bug spray and right on the cover of this big jug of ortho huge warning caution don't drink don't ingest right poison don't don't ingest this stuff now I'm out there and it was hot yesterday afternoon working out in the sun and i you know and and nobody in their right mind in the midst of the heat would think you know what man I'm so thirsty I'm just gonna you know guzzle this jug of orthomax bug bug spray right like nobody would do that but friends how about this what if I could have got a glass of water And I took just a teaspoonful of that Orthomex bug spray. And just a little teaspoon and mixed it in with my glass of water. Nick, would you drink that water? It's 99% water! Right? Nobody in their right mind would drink that water. Because the 1% of error could kill you. And that is how the false teachers operate. They'll come and they'll... Often profess all kinds of biblical truth, but it's the 1% error that is spiritually deadly. And so we need to be aware, friends, deception and delusion. Jude says, Don't forget the prophet, God's apostles, warned us, they're coming, and we need not be surprised, and we need to be ready when they show up. Jude then tells us, number two, how can we live out the truth? He says, Don't depart. Verse 20 through 21. Here Jude gives us one main command and three principles. Verses 20 through 21. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. One command, three principles for living out that command. The command is keep yourselves in the love of God. The principles for doing that are building yourselves up, praying in the spirit, and waiting patiently for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. One command, three principles. Jude says, keep yourselves in the love of God. Now you might be thinking to yourself, well, wait a minute, what is this this keep myself stuff all about, right? Didn't didn't we read all the way back in the first week of Jude, Jude verse 1, beloved who are kept by God for Jesus Christ, right? In our salvation, we are secure, we are kept by God for Jesus Christ. So, So what is this stuff here about keeping ourselves in the love of God? What's that all about? Well, Jude's talking about two different things there. Okay? In verse 1, he's talking about our justification. Because of what Jesus did for us on the cross, we are saved, we are secure in him, we are justified. But here, Jude is talking about our sanctification. The obedience that we are called to exercise as God's people throughout our life as we continue to strive to grow in likeness. Okay? So we have justification, we have sanctification, which we continue to practice throughout our lives, growing in Christlikeness, following him in obedience. That's what Jude is talking about. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Exercise your faith, grow in Christlikeness, all right? And Jude points to us three ways that we keep ourselves in the love of God. Now, just to clarify for us, this is this is not a foreign concept biblically. This whole idea of sanctification, keeping ourselves in the love of God. The Apostle Paul actually provides some helpful clarification on this concept in Philippians chapter 2, verses 13, uh, 12 through 13. Paul tells us, speaking again of sanctification, keeping ourselves in the love of God, as Jude calls it. He, Paul says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure." So Paul here tells us, look, there's two parts to this whole thing about keeping yourselves in the love of God, following him in obedience, growing in Christlikeness. There's two parts. There's you working out your salvation. The, the Greek word there for work out is katergazomai. It, it literally means to uh, to complete or to accomplish or to bring about. In other words, you have to do something. You have a responsibility. You can't be a spiritual potato and expect to grow in your faith. Like, you know that, right, friends? Just like when it comes to exercise, right? Like, you can't sit on your couch at night and eat Cheetos till midnight watching movies thinking that you're going to get buff and ripped, right? Like, I can attest to that. It doesn't work, all right? And in the same way, if we're going to grow spiritually, we can't be spiritual couch potatoes. We have to work out our salvation. We have a role to play. We have to be in God's word. We have to be practicing the spiritual disciplines described in scripture. We need to be in fellowship with our brothers and sisters. We need to be serving. We need to be sharing our faith, right? There are things that we do to grow. But Paul then says, not only do we work out our salvation, but he then in the very next breath says, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure." So, Paul here gives us this twofold process of sanctification. We work out our salvation, but God works in us. And that word for works is a different word. That word that God uses is energiejo. It's where we get our English word energy from. It means to provide motivating, active force. All right? And so, in other words, it is God who provides the force for us to work out our salvation. Isn't that cool? God saves us by his amazing grace, and then he empowers us by his amazing grace with the spiritual energy we need to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. So it's a twofold process. We work, God works in us, and that's how we experience growth. That's how we keep ourselves in the love of God. Now Jude points us to three principles for doing this. He says we build and we pray and we wait. He says, number one, building, building yourselves up in your most holy faith. We are to build ourselves up in our most holy faith. Now, how do we do that? The Apostle Peter in 2 Peter 3.18 tells us this, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. How do we grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? How do we do that? Friends, we do that by studying God's revealed truth to us. We do that by staying rooted and grounded in the word of God. This is where we come to learn who God is and what he desires of us. That's how we grow in the grace of knowledge. It's by being in God's word. Peter goes on uh, in 1 Peter 2 2, two two. Peter says, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. Friends, what is the pure spiritual milk? Again, it's the word of God. Peter says, you want to grow, long for the pure spiritual milk. We got babies down the hall in the nursery right now, and they're crying. They're crying. Why? Because they're hungry. And what do you do when the baby is crying because they're hungry? You share the bottle with the baby, right? Because they're longing for that milk, which will provide the sustenance that they desire. Friends, this is the sustenance that we need. Long for the pure spiritual milk. I love how the psalmist describes the importance of God's word. King David, Psalm chapter 1. The very first words in the book of Psalms. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither In all that he does, he prospers. Friends, do you want to be a tree that's producing fruit, that's growing, that's healthy, that's vibrant? You do that by rooting yourselves in the truth of God's word. This is why being in God's word is so important, friends, not just on Sunday mornings but throughout the week. This is where we find our nourishment. This is where we find our life. This is is what produces the fruit and the growth. It's studying God's truth given for us. This is how we build ourselves up in the faith as Jude encourages us. Jude then says, number two, how do we keep ourselves in the love of God? By praying in the spirit, by praying in the spirit. Now, Jude is not talking here about speaking in tongues or praying in some heavenly angelic language. That's not at all what he's talking about here. Praying in the Spirit is just average, ordinary Christian prayer. It's what Christians do. In fact, the Bible tells us there's a whole host of things that we are to do in the Spirit okay prayer is not something special that we have to do you know in some angelic language no what do we do we walk in the spirit we live in the spirit we put to death the deeds of the flesh in the spirit we confess Jesus as Lord in the spirit we wait on God's promises in the spirit we give thanks in the spirit we share the gospel in the spirit we worship in the spirit we restore sinners in the spirit in other words the whole Christian life is to be done in the spirit all right And so when we talk about praying in the Spirit, what are we talking about? We're talking about just praying as a Christian. To pray in the Spirit simply means that just like every other area of our lives as believers, our communion with God should be inspired and motivated and led and sustained and guided by the Holy Spirit within us. Praying in the Spirit is to come before God with an attitude of humility, yielding to his motives, desiring for his will to be done, seeking his glory in us and through us and in every situation that we bring to him in prayer. That's all it means to pray in the Spirit. It's just doing what Christians do in our communion with God. Jesus taught his disciples how to pray in the Spirit. In Matthew chapter 6, the famous Lord's Prayer, right? What does it look like to pray in the Spirit? Jesus told his disciples. In fact, let's read this together. Jesus says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Friends, this is a God-focused, God-honoring, God-trusting, God-dependent prayer. That's what it means to pray in the Spirit. So Jude says, keep yourselves in the love of God. How do you do that? By building up your faith, by praying in the Spirit. Thirdly, he says, by waiting. Waiting for what? Waiting for, he says, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads To eternal life. What is that talking about? Jude's talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ. Jude says that we keep ourselves in the love of God by waiting for the mercy of our Lord and the eternal life that He will bring, by waiting for His second coming. Friends, this is so exciting. Jesus has promised us, His people, that He is coming again. John 14, verse 3, Jesus says to his disciples, I am going to prepare a place for you that I might come again to bring you with me to where I am, right? Jesus says, I'm coming again. In, in Revelation chapter 22, three times Jesus says to the apostle John, behold, I am coming soon. Behold, I'm coming soon. Behold, I am coming soon. Friends, Jude calls us to wait Anxiously for the mercy of the Lord that will be revealed at his second coming. The Apostle Paul in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 13, speaking to Titus about building himself up in his faith, Paul says, As you do this, wait for our blessed hope, which is what? The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul calls the second coming our blessed hope. We are waiting anxiously for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. I remember when I was a kid growing up, my dad, he was a traveling evangelist and apologist, and he would often be on the road like half the time, 50% of the year. And I remember as a little boy so often missing my dad when he was on these trips. And my dad, when he could, he would call home and he would uh, remind us that he was coming back. I remember he would say, Pal, I'll be home soon. And friends, I'll tell you, I live for those words. I couldn't wait for my dad to come home. And it was my anxious waiting for my dad to come home that that just even increased my love for him. And friends, in the same way, Jesus has told us he is coming again. I'm coming again soon, he says. In fact, Jesus' disciples asked the Lord, you know, Lord, what are going to be the signs of your second coming? Matthew 24 and 25, Jesus gives us all kinds of signs of his second coming. I actually use the acronym signs to explain the signs that Jesus shares. He says there's going to be spiritual signs. He says there's going to be Israel signs. He says there's going to be global signs. There's going to be natural signs. There's going to be social signs. Friends, all of the things that Jesus tells us to be looking for are already coming to pass. The signs are all around us. When Jesus says three times in Revelation, Behold, I am coming soon. Friends, you better believe it. It could be very soon. And we are called to anxiously await his return. Friends, why is waiting so important to growing in our faith? I'll tell you why. Because when we are waiting, we're not forgetting. When you're waiting, you're not forgetting. And sadly, too many Christians in our world today are no longer waiting for Jesus. And we wonder why so many people are falling away from the faith. Because in forgetting That the Lord is and 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 not waiting, they are forgetting about the great hope, the blessed hope that we have when Jesus returns. So, friends, we need to continue to wait anxiously for the Lord. So, Jude here has told us so far. He says, "Don't forget." He says, "Don't depart." Thirdly, he tells us, "Don't quit." Don't quit. Don't quit. What? A few years back, a good friend of mine, Mark Cahill, wrote a great book. I highly recommend it if you haven't read it. We have it in our church library. It's called The One Thing You Can't Do in Heaven. Friends, you know there's one thing you can't do in heaven? Do you know what that is? The one thing you can't do in heaven is share your faith with a lost person. Because they're not going to be there. The one thing we can't do in heaven is evangelize. It's a great book on evangelism. If you've never read it, i highly encourage it. But remember, friends... Jude calls us, he says, don't quit. Don't quit what? Don't quit working towards the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus told us to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. Now, I want you to think about this command here, friends. This is a very strange command if people are okay without Jesus. This is a very strange command if people are okay following any different religion they please. But you see, the reality is, is people aren't okay. They need Jesus. Because Jesus is God's one and only plan for salvation. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In Acts 4, 12, the apostle said, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved except the name of Jesus. The Apostle Paul, 1 Timothy 2.5, says there's one God, there's one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Friends, over and over again, the once-for-all faith delivered unto the saints tells us and affirms that it's only through Jesus that we can be saved and enter into a right relationship with God in this life and for all eternity. And so Jude encourages us here, we need to continue reaching out to the lost in our lives. Jude highlights for us here three kinds of people who need the gospel, along with our strategy for reaching them. He, he says here in verses 22 through 23, have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garments stained by sin. Jude highlights three different kinds of individuals. He, he says, number one, we need to reach out to the doubters. These are people who are on the fence. They're they're open, potentially, but they're just not sure. Maybe they haven't heard a a loving and compelling and merciful presentation of the gospel. And, and, And so we need to appeal to these people with mercy, with love, with compassion, sharing the truth. They need the truth, but we need to do that in a way that helps them to see Jesus as we convey his truth to them. And then Jude points us to a second group of people. These are the deceived These are people who need to be snatched out of the fire, Jude says. This situation is more urgent. These people aren't on the fence anymore. They've been deceived. They've been led astray. And they are facing an eternity separated from God in hell if they're not snatched out of the fire and brought into the light of the truth of the gospel. And so for these people, our presentation is more urgent. For these people, like the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5, these are people for whom we need to destroy strongholds, we need to destroy arguments, every lofty opinion that sets itself up against Jesus Christ. These are people who need to hear the truth and we need to be equipped with good answers for our faith so that we can share the truth and hopefully snatch these folks out of the fire because they're lost without Jesus. Jesus. And the lies that they've believed in need to be countered. There's a third group of people that Jude highlights. These are the dangerous. These are people who need our mercy, just like the other groups. These people need our mercy. They need it because they're victims of the enemy. They're not the enemy. They're victims of the enemy. So we need to show them mercy. But here, we need to exercise mercy with caution. Why? Because these are people who are so entangled in sin or false teaching that it's possible for us to be corrupted in the process of trying to reach them. And so we need to exercise mercy with caution. You know, it's sad. I've seen so many believers go the way of the world by spending too much careless time with worldly people often in the hopes that they're going to lead them to salvation. But what happens is is they're not careful and they end up being corrupted by the very people they're trying to reach. Friends, we need to be in this world and we need to be reaching out to the lost people in our lives. God doesn't call us to remove ourselves from this world. We need to be showing love and compassion and mercy and speaking truth and sharing the gospel, but we better be doing that with caution because Jude says it's possible for even us to be corrupted in the process. This is why the Apostle Paul tells us to suit up. We need to put our armor on. Ephesians chapter 6. Friends, when you're going out into the world, man, you better have that shield of faith, and you better be wearing that belt of truth, and you better have the helmet of salvation on and the shoes of the gospel of peace, right? Like God gives us the armor so that when we go out into the world, we can contend for the faith, we can show mercy to the lost, but we too can be protected from being corrupted by those who have been deceived, those who are dangerous. We said a lot around here at Lakes Free over the years. What is our calling as a church? Pastor Rick used to say it, I say it too. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. What is the main thing? The main thing is sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Jude says, don't quit. Very interesting, a couple of weeks ago, I saw a story on the news that caught my attention, story of a Sherpa in, in, uh, in uh, Nepal who rescued a climber from the death zone on Mount Everest. They, they said it was a miraculous rescue. This Sherpa was guiding a Chinese client up into the death zone of Mount Everest, 26,000 feet high. 26,000 to 29,000 feet, they call it the death zone. It's called the death zone because your body literally starts decaying the longer you spend in that zone. And a human can only survive between 6 and 20 hours in the death zone. One climber described it as running a marathon while trying to breathe through a straw. Your body just starts shutting down because of the lack of oxygen and because of the harsh elements, minus 80 degrees Fahrenheit in some cases. Well, this Sherpa discovered as they were guiding to the top of the mountain, here was this Malaysian climber clinging for life to, the, to a rope. He was freezing to death. He had been there for whoever, who knows how long. And the Sherpa abandoned their climb to the summit there in the death zone and packed this man up into a sleeping bag and literally carried him over six hours, 2,000 feet down to the next base camp where a helicopter was able to rescue him. People who heard about it said it was absolutely miraculous, that this, this has never been heard A rescue like this has never been heard of before. You know, I thought about this story this week as I was thinking about Jude's admonition for us to reach out to the lost. And every single one of us in this room, friends, we know people who are currently trapped in the spiritual death zone. And they're facing an eternity separated from God. And who's going to rescue them? Who's going to bring the good news of Jesus that can save them and bring them back to life. This is why Jude calls us, don't quit. Reach out to the lost. Share mercy to those who doubt. Snatch others from the fire. With others, extend mercy with fear. But don't quit because we have a world that desperately needs Jesus. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for these great words that Jude has given us to encourage us and how we can live out the truth of our faith. And Lord, I just pray that we would take these words to heart this morning and that we would, number one, not forget your prophecies about the false teachers that are coming, that we wouldn't be surprised and that we would be prepared. And I pray that as we are not forgetful, that we would also uh, continue, Lord, to build ourselves up, that we would keep ourselves in the faith, that we would not depart and that we would continue to look to you and wait on you and trust in you and continue to work out our salvation with fear and trembling so that we might continue to grow in Christ's likeness for whatever time you have each of us in this world. And then, Lord, I pray that you would give us hearts of love and compassion for the lost people in our lives, the doubters, the deceived, the dangerous, we all know someone in each of those camps, Lord, and I pray that you would give us a heart of love and compassion and a motivation to seek to reach them and share the truth with them so that they might be saved from the spiritual death zone that so many in our world are caught up in today. Lord, we just thank you that you have uh, opened our eyes to the truth of the gospel, and I pray that we would worship you and and glory in this incredible salvation that you've given us and that we might be motivated through that, Lord, to bring it to others. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.